Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 117, versus Lords of Waterdeep, versus Champions of Midgard. Listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony, welcome back. We got a new episode for everyone out there, and we have one of our most dynamic, clashing episodes versus. Yeah, you feeling it? I'm feeling it. All right, come on. You could feel a little I'm bit gonna, more. I'm going to. No, it's going down right now. <laughs> we don't even have a tiebreaker. This could go on forever until we hit 30 minutes and need to take a nap. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just literally the next 100 episodes. It's this one versus episode. <laughs> I don't think that would alienate anybody at all. <laughs> hey, guys, guess what? It's the Champions of Midgard versus Lords of Waterdeep podcast. <laughs> and we're off the air. <laughs> this week, the red dice. <laughs> Are they really red? Let's look at them again. Yeah, they're red. Oh, all right. Next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I see gray. I'm colorblind. No. <laughs> I guess we'll have to do another episode on that. So we're talking about a versus episode because, you know, when it comes down to it, with all the political intrigue and destruction and threatening and all the other hectic, stressful things about the world, why not just settle down to a giant piece of cardboard, throw some pieces of paper at each other, move some little wooden pieces and roll some plastic cubes and call it a day. That's the true meaning of battling it out to the end versus is what it's all about and it's our feature review this week but before we get into that we want to talk about what games we're looking forward to playing and what new battles we'll eventually have in the future so anthony what's your acquisition disorder this week okay so i just saw this one probably just a couple days ago honestly it's coming from mayfair sometime this summer it's called baron park love that and i think they're going to leave that name the same the german name so it's I, I can't say it properly. There's an umlaut over the A, but Baron Park is about building a park for bears. Great, right? Seriously? It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do you think it is? Its categories are animals and puzzle, okay. and it's tile placement with polyominoes. This is like a game made for me. I love it. What you're doing is you're taking the well, polyominoes just means like there are all these different shape pieces. Think... I guess like more like patchwork, like those different shaped things. And you're trying to put them together to form your park and you get points based on the different things you have out there. Animal houses, outdoor areas, completed constructions, whatever you put out there. Great. You're trying to make it so it's a nice place for the bears to live. Uh, I think it's supposed to be like an, you know, an outdoor free range kind of animal sanctuary where people can come and visit. I'm not hundred percent sure. I just like the mechanics and I like putting tiles together in a puzzle and scoring points for it. As we've discussed on previous episodes, and I'm excited to see how this one does it. Whether it's good or not, who knows? But puzzles, yeah. Uh, puzzles. Puzzles. <laughs> Bears and puzzles. <laughs> my daughter's going to love it. Of course. Of course. All right. So my acquisition disorder is one of the games we recently talked about as far as 
what's on Board Game Geek's hotness, and that is Legend of the Five Rings, the card game. Now, originally this was a CCG game, and finally it's actually getting the LCG treatment. And I'm really excited about this because, as we all know, CCGs tend to be a little bit expensive and tend to be a little bit challenging as far as trying to keep up with the meta and especially the power creep that tends to happen in CCGs. So actually getting a chance to play an LCG where you have these standard packs, everyone gets the same pack, but how you put those decks together, how they interact with each other, does make all the difference in the world. And since it's getting the... Asmodee Fantasy Flight treatment here as far as their LCGs, you can't really be in better hands. Fantasy Flight has done such an amazing job with their LCGs, Arkham Hara, uh, Star Wars The Card Game, Lord of the Rings, Android, Netrunner. A good two-player battling it out, utilizing these fate mechanics in order to not just bring players and uh, special abilities out to the board, but being able to play this fate in order to keep them fighting so if you have a really good character and combo going you might want to play that the entire game but you're risking your entire house based upon that player and that mechanic there or you might want to run a player out there use that special ability and then run them back so the cards here are able to do a lot more than a traditional ccg And that's fantastic. The artwork looks outstanding, as we talked about before. They are talking about a massive release at Gen Con, so everyone should be able to get a copy of this game without a problem. I'm sure they're going to be demoing this game like crazy. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from the old school fans of The Legends of the Five Rings and let us know how they like this game and if this game is great because... This game really deserves to be back in rotation at board gaming tables. So that is our Acquisition Disorders. Now on to our At the Table. Anthony, what have you been playing this week? More tile laying. Uh... No, no, you like this one. Oh, okay, uh, good. Yay! Yeah. Tile laying! <laughs> it's uh, King Domino. Uh, so this is uh, Bruno Cathala, because okay. he's everywhere, and he just does games. It's I've very heard quick. of him. He does some <laughs> games. This is a 15-minute tiling game with fantasy... Well, not fantasy theme. I guess just medieval-themed dominoes. Very, very ridiculously simple game. Lay out all these dominoes. The rules tell you how to lay them out based on the number of players and the numbers that are on the dominoes. But basically, you're going to lay out four at a time. You each take a turn. You place your king meeple on which domino you want to take. If it's a two-player game, you get two kings. So that's fun. And then you're going to draw four more dominoes. And then move your king over and pick a new one and then take the one you'd previously placed and then take that domino and place it in your tableau. There's a handful of placement rules. Uh, Basically, you just have to make sure that the different terrain types match up. There's different terrain types on each of these things. Um, When I say dominoes, there are no numbers here. It's just different types of terrain, like the desert and the forest and the sea. And at the end of the game, you're trying to have the most number of squares contiguous squares of the same terrain type with crowns on it as a multiplier so that's basically it get a bunch of crowns have a big area and then multiply them together to get your final score um, you're going to build a five by five grid it has to fit as a five by five grid if you take a domino that could not fit for some reason you discard them and you don't get points for that so definitely want to make sure you can do that much but that's probably the most complicated part here it's very very simple i taught my five-year-old how to play this It takes 15 minutes. 
It's very inexpensive. I think it was like 20 bucks. And the component quality is pretty nice here. It's a nice blue-orange game that's really accessible to everybody. So I would say there's no reason not to pick this up if you like tile laying, if you like uh, kind of that language-free building on a tableau. It's, and it's super quick and fun, and it plays well with kids. So um, this one's a, a strong recommendation. I'd say it's definitely something to pick up. Happy I bought it. Would buy it again. And recommend it for anybody out there with kids or who's looking for something light and simple for game night as a filler. Yeah, I got a chance to play this thanks to our friend Howard. It's a fun little, very light family game as far as playing these dominoes in a a certain kind of combination. You want to really set yourself up to maximize the number of opportunities that you have. And then there are special markers on the tiles that will actually allow you to score additional victory points. So... Yeah, this is kind of a fun, fast game and nice, chunky pieces. So you could definitely play this with kids and not have to worry about the game. It is definitely on the light side. So if you're thinking this has a lot more complexity to it, nope, nope. Very light, but very fun and engaging. Yeah, make sure you have the people to play it with because it is super duper light. I think it's like a 1.2 on BGG. Like there's no there's no complexity here, but it is fun for what it is and i enjoy playing with the kids well i'm gonna get a little bit heavy here for you i i got a game that's a 1.4 on board game geek so since we're talking about (laughs) i know right feel feel the burn my friend feel the burn so a game that i played a long time ago that really actually you know kind of hit me a little bit which was cloud nine now this was a game that was out of print for quite some time even when i got to the table but it was an interesting light family game in which you literally had this little airship or balloon that had your meeple on it and you were traveling down these different locations and with this game celestia it's exactly what you played in cloud nine but it's a re-envision uh cleaning up uh, a nice new paint job to the game and basically the same thing kind of goes goes along with it you are if you are the captain you will be rolling dice now when you roll the dice There are a number of different symbols on the dice here that are going to talk about the different effects as far as the journey is concerned. So you might get lightning bolts, killer birds, or pirates. And then what the captain has to do, as any good captain does, is play cards. So let's say, for example, you got three yellow die. Then you have to be able to play three yellow cards too in order to take care of that different danger that pops up. Now, while you are the captain and you must go down with the ship, your passengers do not have to, you know, meet the same fate. So if they see three lightning bolts pop up there, they may not be too sure that you have the appropriate cards to take care of that catastrophe. So what they can actually do is jump out of the ship. And if they do, what they would be able to do is they would be able to score the victory points for that location. But they may decide to gamble and press their luck and see if you pull out the cards. Now, you can't cheat. You have to play the cards. You have to be effective. And you want to be so that you can move on. So you really just want to be able to press your luck as much as you can, at least one more step. But once again, this is a dice rolling game, checking to see if you have the appropriate cards in your hand. So I guess you could say there's a bluffing element to it, but there really isn't. And the only thing that kind of mixes this game up a little bit is that there are some objects in the game, like a jet pack, that can allow you to do different things to modify the travel 
or to affect other players in the game. So with that said, it's a light, fun game. And just like King Domino was a buy for Anthony, if you're looking for a family game that's not going to stress your family out, it's going to play really well with little kids. Celestia is a buy. Um, For everybody else, it's probably a dodge just because it's super, super light. But it's really fun and interesting to look at. And, uh, you know, I give it a recommendation for that small, tiny genre. Yeah, I dig this one, too. Almost exact same thing, though. Like, play with kids or play it as a filler with a group that appreciates that kind of filler. Yeah, I, it's, it's real a, good for that. Yeah, it's a fine game. It doesn't it doesn't pretend to be anything that it's not. And, uh, you know, it's it's you know, you get a good laugh out of it. And the production is high quality. All right. So that's what's been hitting our table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are doing our old school's smash up lockdown Two games enter, one game leaves. We are looking at verses here. We're looking at Lords of Waterdeep versus Champions of Midgard. So, Anthony, which one of these great combatants will you be championing this episode? Uh, the Champions of Midgard. Ah, because, okay. Well, we can get into the because later. But <laughs> All right, so what do you have to say about the Champions of Midgard? Why is this a game that's deserving of sticking around in the essentials of all time? All right, so Champions of Midgard, it takes a lot of things we're very familiar with. This wide open, big, full portrait-sized board with all these different worker placement options, and it throws in two things that I think make it significantly more engaging um, than a game like Lords of Waterdeep, which has very much the same structure. One, you have dice, so you get a little bit of randomness, but not a ton. You can mitigate it to some degree. And then you have combat. You can use those dice to go on expeditions or to take out these different enemies that are on the board. It just adds so much more fun to what you can do. You can jump in there and get those things before someone else. It allows you to kind of amplify what your scoring is. You can build up your pool of dice. You can build up your resources to make sure you have the things needed to go and do these things. You have these variable player powers to start the game with that to some degree impact you know how you approach each of these. Uh, I think it's really cool for all those reasons, and you don't ever get stuck in that situation where you're just kind of counting down the number of specific types of resources maybe you need, or worse, sitting there and hoping you don't get hit by kind of the arbitrary um, negative quest. Sure. Well, let me tell you about Lords of Waterdeep, because what you're looking at here is not just a great gateway for Euro games, but it's a excellent kind of bridging the gap as far as role-playing games, because this is a Dungeons & Dragons universe. This is water deep with all of their fascinating lords that are hidden so at the start of the game you're going to be getting a hidden lord that's going to score you extra points based upon the quest that you go on so you might have a lord that benefits over arcana or piety quest or commerce quest or skullduggery quest or you might get a lord that benefits off buildings that you build in water deep So you're going to have your meeples, and it's a basic worker placement game. You place them on those different areas to gain resources. You place them on areas to gain quests. And on the quest, it's going to tell you what warriors, wizards, thieves, what people are needed in in order to complete that quest. You'll be able to turn in those resources or kind of 
thematic people and, and adventurers in order to score victory points and give yourself special abilities. In this game, there are also what they call plot quests, which if you're able to complete a plot quest, then you'll be able to get an ongoing benefit that will help you throughout the game. It might generate more warriors for you or more clerics for you. It's just going to do a lot more for your gameplay. You'll be building up Waterdeep by building buildings. And at the end of the game, at the end of the eighth round, you will count up all your victory points for your quest, for your money, for your tavern full of different adventurers, not to mention the the revealing of your lord that will be able to score you those additional victory points, and most victory points wins. So as far as a Euro entry gateway game that's about worker placement, adding the Dungeons & Dragons theme is outstanding. Yeah, but that to me, that's part of where these games differ a little bit, is while um, Champions of Midgard is just kind of generic Viking theme, which we I will wholly admit has been a little played out in recent years. Uh, although this is one of the earlier ones from the last couple of years. I feel like Champions of Midgard tackles theme in a more interesting way. The problem with Lords of Waterdeep is it takes that theme and it has all this interesting information in the game and it doesn't necessarily use it to its full extent. Like you have all these little cubes that are supposed to represent, you know, the fighters and the clerics and the wizards. Um, but they're just little cubes and the plot quests and, and all this stuff. Well, all the flavor text that is there is interesting. It doesn't necessarily play out as much in what you're actually doing in the game. Now that's not to say champions of Midgard, you are actually, you know, going and doing all these things and pillaging necessarily. You're still putting your meeples on spaces and taking actions based on where you put them, but you get to fight trolls and droggers and different monsters and sail your long ships over the sea and there's a chance you won't succeed so there's definitely a, at least a little bit more theme for me at least uh on the champion side because it's it's integrating some of these things into the actual actions you take and the way that you score points is to fight stuff and to defeat stuff which is pretty cool yeah but the problem with champions of midgard is that it's the same type of mechanic over and over again which is basically recruiting these dice that are supposed to be your warriors and then going, no matter what you're fighting, the same thing. I'm placing my meeple here. I'm placing X number of dice. I roll my dice and I either win or I lose. There really isn't much kind of connection here. I mean, you do score some victory points from getting certain sets of colors, but there really isn't anything thematic as far as, you know, building up these missions. There's no flavor text there. There's no connection to a bigger intellectual property or universe. The artwork is pretty standard. You're seeing the, the, the troll monster is the same troll monster is the same troll monster. Actually, most of the monsters are very similar or they repeat themselves over and over again. At least when you see the quest in Lords of Waterdeep, they look like dramatic quests that are actually doing something heroic. And you're actually accomplishing something truly dramatic here and it allows for a little more interplay than what you tend to find in champions of midgard because you can play a mandatory quest on somebody or you can take a space that they're holding on to so there is a little bit more interaction above and beyond the uh theming that you find more in um lords of war deep than champions of midgard yeah i mean i'll give you that the interaction is greater although i would say that i think mandatory quests are the worst part of lords of Waterdeep by far because they're arbitrary to a certain degree and in a in a game with a lot of players 
again, it's the same problem we talked about earlier is you can only hit one person, you know, it's not, you can't really balance that out. It's not. And then if you get hit by multiple mandatory quests, the game just isn't a whole lot of fun, which takes away a little bit from the gateway status of the game. Like you have someone new there, um, either you avoid hitting them and don't use those cards uh, to be nice, or they do get hit and they're like, well, this isn't fun because it's not what I was working towards. I mean, in Midgard, I guess you do have the, the issue of like you can roll poorly and fail and then feel like you wasted a turn as well. But <laughs> at least that's your decision. I chose to do that. Bad decision, but I did it. It was me, <laughs> not not you over there uh, throwing your cruddy mandatory quest at me. Well, you also have the entry card. So the entry cards will offer some balance because sometimes you'll get a benefit, but you have to give some other player cubes or money that'll help them. Or sometimes you have like an ambush card, which will take a resource or a, uh, I guess a, a villager or a warrior or a cleric or something away from their tavern. So there are ways to attack or support other players that the entry cards kind of allow you to do. Now, I think we should mention at least at this point that Lords of Waterdeep does have an expansion with two modules and Champions of Midgard just recently kickstarted an expansion with two modules. So at some later point, we'll definitely have to look back to that. But I think that we both can at least agree that these expansions make the games better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you were to ask me which of these two base games is better, I would go with Champions of Midgard. If you said which of these two experiences is better based on what's available, I would go with Lords of Waterdeep with um, the Skullport expansion because... It just adds so much to the game. I don't know yet what the play will be like with the new stuff for Champions of Midgard. It looks pretty cool, but it's obviously not in hand yet, so we can't compare them. Yeah, I I, I do like Champions of Midgard as far as a press-your-luck game. I don't think we see a lot of quality press-your-luck games other than just really throwaway fillers. So being able to you know, kind of risk it on, let's say, three dice. I'm going to go attack this creature on three dice. I need six hits, so I need to hit my doubles here. And good luck to me. Maybe I have some special tokens to re-roll, but otherwise, uh, here we go. So I do like that as a press-your-luck game. But for an overall kind of thematic, tied-together type of experience, I think Lords of Waterdeep does a little bit more as far as the variability with the different quests that you can go on and the different abilities um, that you'll be able to pick up, whether it's through entry cards or through those plot quests. Not to mention that there are more buildings that can be built, whereas Champions of Midgard really only has, I guess, what is it, three or four buildings that kind of start off with three buildings and then those trading ships? Yeah, there's eight market stalls, and you're only going to have three or four out, depending on how many players you have. So not a lot. I'll give you that. Definitely, and then the eight the eight merchant ships. Um, so not as definitely not as many options, to be sure. The buildings are definitely more rampant in the uh, water deep. Yeah, I think that adds a little bit more to the gameplay when you can possibly see a different combinations of buildings. But yet at the same time, you could find yourself pretty stuck if you're building piety quests. If that's really what you're going after, and most of the buildings are not piety quests. You're kind of stuck. That's that's kind of a little bit of a downside there, too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for me because I like a little bit of luck in a game. Not a lot, but a little bit. Like, I'm a Euro gamer, but not like I don't want it pure, you know, um, unhindered. <laughs> I can see everything in front of me. 
I like the idea of being able to, if I'm behind a little bit, to just roll the dice and, you know, hopefully jump ahead. But also the chance that, nope, that failed. Well, I'm still behind. Um, <laughs> and, and there's always that little bit of risk that even if you throw every dice you have, every die you have, and there's a whole bunch of them, big pile, and you still lose the roll, which is incredibly infuriating and kind of rare, but it can still happen. I like that. It adds a little bit of variability to, to a situation that you don't really see in Lords of Waterdeep because you know what you're going to get. The only variability is what spaces are other people going to take before you get there mm-hmm. uh, and which cards come out. So I guess it's you know different situations for different moods. If I'm in a no-luck mood or if I really want something straightforward and don't want to think too much, I might probably lean more towards Waterdeep, but I still like Midgard better overall as an experience. Yeah, I think if I'm looking for a game and if, Anthony, if you and I are facing this wonderful kind of endless number of game tables that are out there and only two games are available, Champions of Midgard and Lords of Waterdeep, which one do you sit down and play? Because there are no other options there. I think just because it stays consistent throughout, I'm going to sit down at Lords of Waterdeep. Just because, yeah, you know what? I did have that roll where I rolled six white dice and totally whiffed and didn't get one hit and just was just dumbfounded. I only needed like two hits on that creature. And I was just like, why? Why? Now, <laughs> it adds to the game. I don't take that away. I mean, it should be an option to completely fall down on your face like any good kind of adventure. But I want to play a game. I don't want randomness to utterly possibly cripple me so i'm gonna go with lords of waterdeep here man I, I feel like we've just basically boiled this down to the to the great argument between ameritrash and euro i don't know it's true that <laughs> we've answered our question i guess we got to throw it to the listeners because what do you guys think which game would you feel pulls out in this one yeah i mean if we're looking and we're talking about essential gateway games that incorporate Ameritrash elements and Euro elements and you know obviously one is more Euro and one is more Ameritrash which way do you really go if you're looking down as I said at that endless number of tables there and there's only two games to play which one do you sit down at um, Anthony you're gonna have to post this as question of the day and see what uh what our listeners have to say all right guys it's on make sure you look for that this week I will post that up and um, uh, on a future episode we will read back your answers, but also kind of tally up and see which one pulls ahead. Yeah. All right. So speaking about questions of the day, Anthony, you've had plenty of questions of the day this week. Which one made it up to the question of the week for us on this episode? All right. So I actually mind back a little bit because of which games we have in front of us. So Lords of Waterdeep is arguably one of the most blinged out games people own, um, primarily because it was little cubes uh, and how non-thematic they are. So I asked... What game do you own with the most bling and upgrades in your collection? Expecting to see a bunch of people say Lords of Waterdeep, and they did. There's a few people who specifically ah. cited those cubes and just don't want to have the cubes anymore. Get the D&D bulls. <laughs> the D&D bulls are awesome, I, t- I tell you. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool, but we also had a few other answers, so I thought I'd throw those out there. Alice says, for her, it's Elder Sign, which is interesting, mostly in pursuit of making it less fiddly. So she plays it a lot. So they have D8s for tracking health and sanity, D20s for tracking elder signs, sleeves for the investigator cards. And then she talks about a few other upgrades she wants to add, such as minis and upgrades for the player tokens. So lots of plans there. James mentions Lords of Waterdeep, as well as custom buildings for Terra Mystica, which 
I haven't thought of before, but I think that might be cool because those buildings always remind me of Catan. Oh, I hate those um, buildings. <laughs> they're so bad. <laughs> uh, they fit right on the on the on the player map, but it, they're not very exciting. They make no um, sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. And, and he mentioned as well that the there's someone who sells similar things on Etsy, and Etsy comes up a lot because I think a lot of people who just make these in their spare time. Uh, post to Etsy. The other game I expected to see, and a couple people mentioned, was Terraforming Mars. And this is probably the game I blinged out the most at this point, just because it kind of needs it, which is unfortunate. Had to. <laughs> I don't have a choice. Yes. So I do have the acrylic overlays. I do have some upgraded metal cubes on the way because I've played this one enough now that the plastic ones with the paint are chipping. So I'm excited for those. There are other upgrades I'm looking into. I'm not really sure I need the the box the organizer just yet Mm -hmm. but it does look pretty cool so i'm considering it what about you which game do you think you have invested the most into blinging out that would have to be seven wonders in particular because a broken token because i picked up not just the organizer for it but i also picked up the metal coins and those metal coins were way way expensive when i first picked up my first pack they were like, hey, those will be enough coins to play the game. And then I played, I think, with four players, and it was not enough. So I had to pick up a second pack, which then I found out the reason why they made the pack so small was because they were so expensive. But Seven Wonders hits the table so often and is one of my favorites, if not my favorite game, for so many reasons that the game is sleeved. The As I said, the coins are metal. The box insert is wood. And... Anything else I can possibly think of in the future to make that game even better, I will absolutely positively invest. Fun to do that. Like, uh, I'd probably say the game, now that I think about it, War of the Ring might even be a little bit more for me because I've upgraded to the Collector's Edition board and the books. Everything's sleeved in metal tins, and I've painted probably half the miniatures at this point. Uh, So that's another game that's just... Without buying the expensive collector's edition, I'm getting close with just my own (laughs) version. And we probably don't have to mention Scythe, right? Everybody knows that already. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, we, you didn't have to bling it. It came that way. It came that way. It came, it came completely blinged. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-blinged. That's right. All right. So that's everything for this week. Please keep in contact with us on Facebook because we've always got a question of the day out there for you. Check in with us on Twitter. Anthony's always posting something up. Don't forget Board Gamers Anonymous. Always something new going up there on our website. Our Guild on Board Game Geek. Check out our Patreon account. Dollar an episode does a lot of good to get us more and more podcasting out there to you. And don't forget, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. A five-star review gets more board gaming out there. All right. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you an upgraded seat at our table.